Blog Talk Radio. Tune in to the hottest sports talk show. I've never had it so good sports radio. Join us weekdays at 7 p.m. Stories about players and coaches of all levels. We make it easy to talk sports. Welcome back to the second hour here on Never Had It So Good Sports Talk Radio. Also join us at 10 p.m. Eastern Time for the Life of a Sports Mom with host Shoshana Cook. She will be live tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific Time. Let me get my co-host in here, Duck Raleigh. Duck, how are you, sir? Doing well, Princess. Awesome, awesome, awesome. My other co-host, Tim Moore, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Princess. Glad to be with you. Thank you very much. That was pretty good, Tim, um, Eric Van, and just listening to him talking about his history, his journey, and comparing the team to to life, his life journey now. Your thoughts, Tim? Yeah, I I, I agree, and and you know it, it's really sort of refreshing my memory too because it's easy to forget when uh, that Kansas did have some really competitive teams at one time mm-hmm. uh, in the in the Big yeah. Twelve. Yeah, they had some competitive teams, and and Duck, we'll just wait till that game. Duck, do you know when Kansas plays West Virginia? Do you, you happen know, to know? They they don't play them this year. He's gonna have to live off the History Channel again. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get Duck Riley, just as nice a guy as you ever want to be, but if you want to rile him up, start talking about <laughs> West Virginia losing, even if it's shooting marbles, he ain't having it. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right, tonight we are talking titles and responsibilities, and we have on um, Osmond Camaro here, Director of Player Development from Oregon, and also Nori Wilson, Director of Players and Development, University of Minnesota. We want to welcome in 1490. 1490, give us your name. That's the last four of your, so, uh, your, your um, phone number, 1490. Um, it's Usman Camaro. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing really good. Thank you for being on. All right, Mr. Yeah, Wilson. Mr. Wilson. Welcome to the yes. show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Tim and Duck, go ahead and take over. All right, uh, Coach Kamal, I want us to because I want to I want to talk about how how you got started in sports. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So. I was a collegiate athlete myself. I mean, I played, I played, honestly, we can go back uh, to my childhood. I played anything under the sun, really, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, ran track, even did one year of wrestling. And so um, athletics has always been a foundation and a pillar in my life. Um, and then moving fast forward to my college days, I played at West Virginia University. Uh played there from 2016 to 2021, or 2020, sorry. Uh, earned an undergrad degree in 2020 uh, in sport management, then got a uh, MBA degree in 2021. And so uh, that's kind of a little bit of background on me, but I've always been involved in athletics, and like I said before, it's been a big pillar in my life. Okay. I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to jump to Coach Wilson. and Kind of, Coach Wilson, how, how did you get started in sports? When you ask that question, are you speaking collegially? Take me back to your childhood. Take me back. 
coach? Well, you know, when when we was kids, stop acting like you ain't as old as me. When we was kids, <laughs> there wasn't nothing to do in the house, and Mama wasn't gonna let you watch TV, so you had to go out and play. And uh, <laughs> sports is how you socialize in the neighborhood. You know, you go across the street to the sand lot, and you know somebody got a ball, somebody got a bat, everybody got a glove. You know, you 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 can play a game, nobody have a glove, and you know you play touch football, and it's tackling and this touch in the street and this tackle in the yard and, you know, and then you go into high school and you just keep on playing. And you grow up playing sports by and large. Not everybody in the neighborhood grew up playing sports. We had guys that I grew up with that are, were great actors and, and great musicians and went on to do those things professionally. But um, we, we played, and that's what we did. And we went to high school and we played sports, and a lot of them moved on to different levels playing sport, and after I got done playing college football, I got an opportunity to be a graduate assistant at Minnesota and, and went on from there. Okay, talk, let's talk about that. As a graduate assistant your first year, what, what are some of your responsibilities? What we're trying to get across to the listeners are some of the responsibilities as you move through the, the collegiate ranks. Back then it was, I don't know, it was 88-89, um, break down film, draw cards, hold up cards at practice, uh, do bed checks, uh, whatever a coach needs you to do. Coach asks you to run out and grab them, pick up a lunch for them while they were in their game planning. You go out and grab a lunch. Uh, back then you could uh, you could scout your opponent. I remember having to get on a plane and, and sit in the, uh, the press box and write up uh, – the opponent we were going to be playing two weeks down the road and right up their offense, defense, special teams, come back and present it. They do those things now, but they don't They don't go on the road. They still have to present to the staff just what they saw as they were breaking down the film. Um, it's, it's a did you do what you asked, do what you asked to do, do what you're told to do, and you do it as, as best you can. And if it's wrong, they'll tell you you're wrong, and then hopefully somebody will take you on your, under their wing and, and tell you how it should be done, or give you a little extra guidance, and you just work. If you're scared of working, it's not going to work out for you. Okay. You brought up an interesting point. Uh, I want to know your opinion. Is it easier for you, was it easier for you to view it in person, or would you rather watch it on, uh, watch the tape? It's a, it's a line there. There's some things you can see in person that you can't see on the tape. But on the tape, you know, when you're watching it in person, that's it. You might be able to look at a replay up on the screen or something like that or a TV in the press box. But if you're sitting in your office, you can run the playback as many times as you want. You know, there's so many, you know, you got a sideline, you got an end zone. When you're sitting in the press box, all you got is a sideline and you and you have to create your own shorthand because you don't have time to write down a whole paragraph. You just have to put some notes down on, on what's going on, who's in the game, are they playing nickel, are they playing dime, uh, did somebody get hurt and not come back, did you miss it. Uh, and one time we were doing something, and a guy, a guy that was there scouting from a pro team said, hey, you look like you knew at this. I'm going to help you a little bit. And he, he helped me the whole game. And we just sat there, and he, he showed me how to watch a football game up in the press box. And I got some good notes. So to okay. answer your question, I'd say you probably want to be able to sit in your office and watch it on film and, and 
you can always come back to that film and, and find something that you may have missed. Okay, and you, another great point you brought up. Uh, you said watch it from the sidelines, you watch it from the end zone. What, 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 what do you mean by that? Well, when they're going to cut the film. So the same play you see uh, on television is probably a sideline copy, and the offense is going left to right. And, you know, now they do the fancy stuff and move the camera maybe around behind the quarterback. But you don't you only see those after the play is over. And then after that, you'll get an end zone copy, a tight copy of just showing from tackle to tackle or tight end to tight end what's going on right there. Um, some people have gone on to give you a – where you get four cuts now. You'll get a, a sideline wide. You'll get a sideline tight. You'll get an end zone tight and an end zone wide. So you can see the depth of the receiver's routes uh, on the end zone wide copy. Uh, each conference has their own rules on what has to be traded film-wise. You may not get all four cuts. I remember the University of Tennessee, you know, we do the end zone camera. The end zone camera was always in one end zone. So in half the game, you were getting the back of the defense instead of the back of the offense. Where at Tennessee, they put an end zone camera in both end zones, so they always got the back of the offense because that's what they wanted, to see the back of their offensive line. So they had a camera, quarters one and three, they shot this, and quarters two and four, they shot from the other camera. Okay, which would make it – did it make it harder for you guys to view it? No. No, not at all. Um, end zone camera, and you can always hit stop. You can hit slow-mo. You can, whatever it is you want to do, you can go frame by frame. If you just want to find something, you know, is it two eyes, is it three? How wide is that split? What foot did he step with? Did he step to the guy? Is this guy a little bit early all the time when he's trying to pass that? Or if you're looking at the defense, you know, what's this guy looking at? Is he looking at the, the guy inside of him? Is he keying the guard? Is he keying the – is he really keying the ball? Is he, is he moving when he sees somebody move? Okay. And, and the, reason why I ask, the reason why I ask you that, Coach Wilson, is just because of the Big 12. I'm just trying to see how they were trying to cheat West Virginia. But, okay, I, I appreciate that information. All right. No, nobody cheating the Mountaineers. The Mountaineers been – Y'all had y'all time. Let somebody else win some game. Uh, okay, you're breaking up. But anyway, okay, uh, Coach Kamar, <laughs> uh, I want to take it from you. Once you finish your uh, college career, what was your next mm-hmm. step? So I was, uh, like I said, I was finishing my, my master's when I was finishing my last year eligibility. And so I took a GA role. Uh, I was a GA in the fifth quarter program. So the quarter program at West Virginia is basically their life after football program and the resources that they have to provide those student athletes to develop them for life after football. And so took that on from January to May. And then from May on till December of 2020, what would that be? 2021. Yeah. So from May to December of 2021, I was the assistant director of player development. And I was predominantly over all of our all of our onboarding and all of our newcomers into the program. All right, let me back um, you up to the to the fifth quarter. Now, what was your responsibilities there? Yeah, so really, uh, my responsibilities as a GA was to tap in with our guys and see what they what they wanted to do, what their hobbies were, um, 
what they had a knack to doing, uh, what they were studying. Um, and so I kind of got an opportunity to see a different perspective or see my teammates in a different light. And I say teammates because I was literally was just most of those guys' teammate uh, a semester ago prior to me getting that GA ship. And so um, got to see them in a different light as well as allowing them to see me in a different light, more of a professional realm. Um, but uh, my responsibility really was to try to plug and play our guys into internships, uh, provide programming uh, to develop them uh, professionally, you know, talk about professional speaking, communication, um, public speaking, kind of building a resume, uh, things of that nature is what I have my hands on as uh, as a GA as well. So, and we also had a uh, platform that allowed employers to get an inside look on our uh, our student athletes, and it was called the Athlete Network, and it's ba- very very similar to LinkedIn. And so all, it was only open to WVU football players and the employers that pay, that paid the subscription to have that insight. And on that platform, the guys were able to put what their skills were, their resume, um, thing, the industries in which they were looking to be involved in, uh, as well as gain uh, mentors from that from that platform. Uh, people could employers could sign up, or even alumni could sign up as mentors and could help student athletes navigate that time in their life through a mentorship program that was accessible through the Athlete, athlete Network. And so um, I had a big hand in jump-starting that as well with the, with the director at the time. Her name was Paige Diggs, um, and and we got it we got it rolling. But that was really what I was responsible for as a GA. Okay, now you move from GA to what position? I moved from GA to Assistant Director of Player Development. Okay, and responsibilities that are? So the responsibilities of the assistant director of player development was to onboard all of our newcomers, whether that be transfer, uh, four-year university or JUCO, as well as our high school newcomers. And so making sure that everybody was compliant by the NCAA, working with our compliance office, make sure all the paperwork was done, everything was fulfilled for them to enroll, uh, and then help that transition from whether it be a four-year college, JUCO, or from high school to our institution. And so make sure communication was clear, housing was taken care of, uh, had really good relationships with uh, several apartment complexes there in Morgantown, as well as our on-campus housing apartment uh, facility, uh, just to make sure that the, the transition was smooth and all of our players' needs were met. Um, and then once they got into town, um, especially with our freshmen, I was very, very hands-on to where I led them through eight-week programming um, to where they were able to get some education on how to put their best foot forward in this college experience. Uh, I would say it's, it's very needed for our freshmen coming from high school to college. You know, it's a big jump. Maturity level is is, is uh, very, very different. And so uh, try to give them some, a curriculum that would get them started on the right foot, give them some type of foundation, whether that be financial literacy, um, the relationship that they have with law enforcement, um, leadership, uh, professional communication, you know, teaching them how they need, they should address their professors, how they should uh, communicate with their professors, um, the importance of having a relationship with your professor. Uh, another topic in that in that programming would be nutrition, strength conditioning, you know, just the surface level things, especially nutrition, and you know, not having the education on what needs to go into your body, what type of nutrients your body really needs to be productive at this level, at the D1 level, is very vital to somebody's success, and so. Uh, those are just the little things that, that we taught our guys, and we would even take them on a grocery shopping trip with our dietitian just to teach them 
uh, the marketing schemes of a grocery store or like which where to find the things that you need to that you need. Uh, Duck, let me ask you this: give you a little quiz. Uh, where do you think all uh, the necessities, all your your natural uh, resources are um, in a grocery store? So you'll say your um, your basic needs, so like your bread, vegetables, all that stuff. Where is that typically at in a grocery store? Depending on they got a label, so you got different aisles. So, but I go yeah, more yeah. to the, but I go to more of the farmer market because I want I want fresh, fresh uh, vegetables and fruit. I got you. So I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, not your, I I'm not your typical shopper. <laughs> I got you. One of the things I learned is your basic needs, like your your milk, your vegetables, your produce, your uh, your meats, and all that is on the outskirts of the grocery store and if you if you pay a giant eagle or walmart most of that stuff <laughs> is on the perimeter and so right. like, that's the types of things that we're teaching our guys where to find the things that they need and so um that was that was kind of what my duties were as the assistant director of player development at west virginia all right uh want to go back to norice you're moving from ga what's what's the next step offensive line coach north carolina central all right, take us through your responsibility. What's going on? Uh, it was my first full-time job. I coached the offensive line and tight ends. Had all five guys plus the tight end was six. Uh, put together the, the 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 make sure the blocking schemes and pass protections held up against the defense we were going to see that week. Uh, help with the game planning with the offensive coordinator. Recruit a, an area of North Carolina and, and neighboring states, uh, bring kids there. We thought we were going to improve the program um, and assist the head coach with whatever he needed assisting with. Now, that's a okay. different perspective. I didn't get that okay. perspective, Duck, until after, uh, until after I was a head coach and went back to being an assistant coach. And you, you really start to understand that when you're an assistant coach, it don't matter. If the head coach walks in and throws his keys at you and says, hey, take my car to get washed, don't buck, don't be mad, because the check come on time. If he needs his car washed, there's a reason he needs his car washed. Just take his car and get it washed. Because uh, when you – I'm being serious right now. When you assistant coach, you there to assist the head coach. Because at the end of the day, he got to stand up and talk about how we won, and he got to stand up and talk about why we lost. So – if he feel like, because the head coach don't have a plate, he got a platter. And if, if that's going to take something off his plate, off his platter, for me to go wash his car, me to go pick up his cleaning, for me to sit in there and talk to him one-on-one about what the the the, the terminology is that the O-line is using, because he don't want to take all the offense's time up, and he just want to make sure he understands all the calls they're making. Just whatever the head coach needs, that's what I was there to assist him with. Okay. You moved from the O-line coach from North Carolina Central. Where you headed? Defensive coordinator, Livingstone College. Talk to us. Went there, uh, left Central. Thought I was getting out of coaching, came back in. Coaching defense at Livingstone, nobody had ever been a coordinator before. The guy said, okay, I want you to coordinate the defense. Listen, we didn't win a bunch of games, but I was working with a bunch of great coaches, and I learned a bunch about defense 
as I, as we was going along and just about putting the kids in a position to have an opportunity. Um, and we were there one year. It was the guys last year. It was a make-or-break year for them. And we didn't – at the end of the day, it's about wins and losses. We didn't win enough for him to keep his job. But there was a bunch of guys there that, that worked their tails off to make sure that the kids had a, a had a great experience um, in that one-year college football that we had with them at Livingstone. Okay. Defensive coordinator, Livingstone, where you headed? Took, uh, I was out for a year, and I ended up at Bucknell coaching offensive line. At Bucknell, I, I recruited Philly and North Jersey, um, coached the offensive line, went up there, and they hadn't had a bunch of winning seasons. We, I was there five, maybe six seasons. We won their first championship since, like, 1960-something, early 1970. We won a conference championship in the Patriot League. Um play competitive football. Uh, the Patriot League and the Ivy League kind of compete with each other for the same students. Um, and we had one year where we beat the best three teams in the Ivy League, Harvard, Yale, and Penn. Uh, and so we always say, look, we won. We were the unofficial Ivy League champs. We beat the best three teams in that league. And then we, we went on and won our league. It was the first year. We were in the Patriot League. I was working in the Patriot League the first year that they gave the Patriot League an automatic bid, and we went ten and one. You know, they talked. You know, Nick Saban talked about losing the wrong game. We lost the last game of the year to go ten and one, didn't get picked for the playoffs. Okay, now what is what did you take from your first year of being an O line coach compared to now you're at Bucknell? Uh, I learned that you can't coach them all the same. That that every kid's different. I can yell at I can yell at Dave Riley, but I, I got to pull John Smith over and I got to whisper in his ear and tell him what I need and and tell him that I love him and that it's gonna be okay and no need for you to call your mom and tell her to come get you. Uh, they're not. You know, you I used to think they were all the same. You yell at all of them. You tell them what you want, and then I you know after a while when you Start to have the attrition, and you got to you got to look at yourself and see what you what aren't you teaching that's causing these guys to to not understand. And I figured it out, you know, as I went along. That hey, this this guy, if I raise my voice at him, he gonna shut down. He got a lot of talent, but he can't take when by and large those ultra smart kids they already have some form of performance anxiety because if they get an A minus, they start to have an issue. So you got to make sure that you're careful with them and you speak with them in a manner that they can learn And because you don't want to lose your message and your method of delivery. Okay. Okay. All right. Coach Kamar, I'm coming back to you because, you know, GA, assistant director, now you're putting this all together. Are you building your own philosophy with with the, part, the progression? Yeah, yeah, I am. I mean, now that I'm a director uh, and holding holding the keys really to the whole uh, player development department, I kind of see 
what I liked, what I didn't like about the past, you know, um, having somebody over top of me, um, even back to my days of being a GA, you know, uh, the things that we wanted to provide for our student athletes, some of the things that I agreed with, some of the things that I didn't agree with, the ways in which uh, we went about doing things. And so I kind of took a culture, cultivation of all of that and uh, or accumulation of all of that and cultivated that here at, at the University of Oregon. Um, you know, taking notes along the way and, and building it to what, what I think is a well-oiled machine and, and successful. You know, there's always room for improvement. I'm always uh, asking my mentors how I can do things better or even asking our players and coaches how we could do things better to appease them. Um, because really, it's really not about what what um, I feel is right. You know, it's all about the players, the, the student-athletes, and how they're able to reach success. And so I, I lean on them a lot. And how they like to how how they like things conveyed, how they like to learn, what they want to learn about, what they're trying to do, and so uh, it's been really good for me so far. Okay, now add, give us a little more. Uh, if where well, if you had to evaluate yourself right now as far as what you're doing, what what, what would you say? Uh, evaluate myself as, as if I'm doing a good job or not, or yeah, um, good job, or, uh, you know, things that you see you can improve on. Uh, because, you know, I, I hear a lot of different things that you, you're doing and some of the stuff you like and some of the stuff you didn't like. So putting it all together, what do you see? Yeah. Um, I think I have a high, very high ceiling, you know. Um, was the GA, was the assistant director, was the social director, associate director, now I'm the director. Um, and I think that if I stay humble, you know, continue to reach and lean on the people that have poured into my life and the leaders that I've had, as well as uh, being an open book to allowing the guys to tell me how they're learning and everything, um, I think the sky's the limit for, for what I want to do in, in this in the sports industry. But as of right now, you know, uh, I'm kind of hard on myself in certain areas, um, like the um, actual metric or, like, actual productivity of player development. How do you measure success, right? Uh, I think we measure success by the engagement. Uh, not, not all the things that I do, not a lot of the programming that I do is mandatory. So the level of engagement that I get from our guys as that continues to rise, that, that shows me that we're being successful. Uh, the amount of guys that are getting internships um, that shows that we're being successful. Uh, when I see the leadership on the field that's being taught from the player development side of things, uh, when I see the leadership translate onto the field, that shows me that we're in the we're heading in the right direction as well. Because uh, yeah, predominantly what I do has to do with life after football, but how you do anything is how you do everything, and. If we can train these guys to be great leaders and have great character and discipline and all those things that it takes to be a good professional, that'll all translate onto the field in essence reaching success and competing for a national championship. Okay. Yeah, West Virginia, now you're always cross country. What's what's the biggest difference right now? The biggest difference is not being able to just call my family whenever I want and being on being in the same time zone. Um like the people of West Virginia and the people of Eugene are very, very similar. Even the the landscape of the two cities are very, very similar. Uh, I'd say Eugene's a little bit bigger, but uh, it's 
and it's two very uh, rural areas where you got to take it for what it is. You know, a lot of nature, uh, a lot of slow, like it's very slow paced around here. It's not the city, but you have to take that for what it is and appreciate it um, and enjoy it. And I've been enjoying it uh, since I've been here since January. Okay, we'll jump back to Coach Wilson. And Coach Wilson, we're going to continue taking us through this journey. You know, you finished Bucknell. Where you where you headed? Went to Yukon with Randy. First time he was there. Um, they were going to transition from uh, the Yankee Conference uh, to uh, Big East football back when there was Big East football. Uh, the Big East folded, then it came back as a basketball and all-sport league, but football. Um, we started out, you know, Skip Holtz left and went to uh, South Carolina with his dad, um, and we we started out slow. Uh, we got to a year, I tell you, the game that put us on the map. We uh, went out to Iowa State with our, with our ragtag fugitive fleet, and we beat Seneca Wallace and the Cyclones at Iowa State to go 6-6. Six and six. You might not remember that. You're just probably yelling at the Pitt-West Virginia game or something. We beat them out there. Um, and then, you know, we – God once told me um, that, listen, he said he asked me a question. He said, do you got a quarterback? I said, yeah, we got a quarterback. So you got a chance. And then the kids stayed home. It's not often the kids stayed home, especially – Kids in Connecticut that got a chance to be big-time players always went off and played at Notre Dame, went off Steve Young, went off and played someplace else. Uh, you know, there's a defensive lineman that went up and played at, at BC. But Dan Orlovsky stayed home. He stayed home at UConn, and we won games. We On offense in back-to-back years, we were, we were top 10 and we were top, top 20. And in those two years, we were nine and three and eight and four. Um, we had a kid from right around the corner from you that nobody recruited. It was UConn and St. Peter's, and we got Cornell Brockington to come to UConn, and he led the Big East in rushing. He was the Big East rushing champ. Nobody even knew what he was because they were everybody was recruiting another kid that went to. You know the school Holy Cross, the, the Lundy kid ended up going to Virginia, and everybody spent all their time recruiting him, and there was a diamond in the rough right there in Cornell Brockington. And we hit on some kids, uh, kids that we thought that can they at least come to UConn and play special teams, and then we just coached them. And it was, it was a coaching staff where got promoted along the way and, and became the uh, – and, and became the offensive coordinator, and Hank was the defensive coordinator, we would open the door, and I would say, Hank, how many points do you need? And he was honest. He'd say, if you can score 28 points, we'll win this game. Hank, how many points do you need? He said, Hank said, you can't score enough points. Just keep scoring. Um, we went and played Miami one time, and they were screaming, Hank, can you stop him? Hank said, stop him. We can't even slow them down. I said, it's going to be a long night. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but we got to the point, you know, you've been around places where, you know, the offensive coaches hate the defensive coach and all they want to do is beat the defense. All we want to do is win games. And if it meant that we had to, that the defense had to stop them every time, 
South Florida had us beaten. They was beating us not seven to three the entire game. And they jumped into one defense that we had spent the whole week preparing for and it got broke a seventy yard touchdown and we beat them ten to seven. And they the defense held all night, gave up a touchdown, and that's all they gave up. And we got a field goal and a touchdown and we beat them. And that and I think we never pointed fingers at each other. We just said, Hey, what do we gotta do as a team? to win this game. And if they said, are you going to just hold the ball and get us 21 points, we would hold the ball and get them 21 points. Okay. That's how it works for us. Okay. And uh, before I turn you over to Tim, you and Coach Kamara, I want want to give give people some of your responsibility as the OC. You're responsible for everything. That happens out there. Now, everybody's different. When, you, when you're the OC, some people want to micromanage everybody, but I want everybody's idea. When I say I want everybody's idea, on Thursday before we left, before the coaches left, I always stayed and finished the game plan, we would put the, the, the starters for the game on the board. And I would say, hey, Dave, pick a play. And you'd pick a play right on the board. And, I, and we'd go around the table. I would ask the GAs, whoever was volunteering, anybody in the room, pick a play, and then I would just go up on the board and I'd look at the plays, and I would just write them in a list right next to what they gave me. I'd write them in a list and put them on the board, and that's how we was going to start the game. We went down to play Wake Forest, and the play was uh, 21 personnel, one, 125, and the GA looked at me and said, Coach, that's my play. I said, I know. He said, you really going to call my play? I said, I like the play. And we went down there, and – they lined, they kicked the ball out of the end zone. We got it put in the middle of the field. I said, give me one, 125. And it went for an 80-yard touchdown. And we run them right out the gym that day. They never recovered. <laughs> All right. So when you're the offensive coordinator, you got I was here's what I was in charge of. These are the things that are in my wheelhouse. You can't tell me I'm not an expert at short yardage offense. I'm not an expert at running the football. Those were the things in my wheelhouse. Dave McMichael, you know him. He was at West Virginia when you was there. He coached the tackles and tight ends. Dave was an expert at protections. He showed us where the protection problems were. Terry Richardson was an expert at saying, that's not going to work. The back can't do that. The back can't hold up long enough. You can't hold that block long enough for the back to get to that spot. Terry was an expert at telling us where the play was going to fail and how we had to fix it. Vinny talked about the passing game and where they could be exploited. The quarterback coach, all we had to tell him is what we wanted to check to and what the visual cue was. That's the cue. That's what we wanted to check to. So we made a tape of all the blitzes with the names on them. And then on Thursday night, he got a tape of all the blitzes without the names on them. And he had to identify the blitz from the visual cue. And that's how we got the quarterback ready to play for Saturday. He got to see the names, see the names, see the names, no names, look at the film and tell us what the blitz is. And when he, he could look at the film and tell us what the blitz is. If you're the quarterback and you're not comfortable with a play, 
the play does not have a chance. So the quarterback would come in my office on Thursday, and I would say, tell me what you don't like. Tell me what he didn't like. And I didn't put it down and put it in the corner. I erased it off the board. There was no need for me to call a play that the quarterback didn't like because he's the one out there playing it. If he's not confident in it, then it's not going to go. So with me, it was truly me coordinating it, me telling you what you're going to give me. You bring it back to me. We sit down together because you know what? They're all great plays, but you can't run all of them. You only get so many plays. So let's figure out what we're going to run, what we like, and what we're going to hold in reserve when we get stuck, and let's go out here and play. And that's how we did it every week. Okay. All right, uh, Tim. Coach Kamara, um, I, I listened to both of you all talking about the um, – the process of getting started and, and it sort of marries with what other coaches have told us early in your coaching careers that you do a little bit of everything from picking up dry cleaning to picking up lunch to whatever else is needed to be done in the, uh, in the locker room uh, for the other coaches. Um, but it's interesting to me that I, I listen to you all talk about making the step up the ladder. And uh, at some point there comes a period of time where you make a decision as to whether you're going to go into sports administration or whether you're going to stay on the field or in the press box. Um, mm-hmm. it, it sounds interesting to me that uh, both of them seem that the training ground is very similar. Um, how do you make that decision uh, when you reach that point? Sometimes the decision gets made for you. Okay. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't didn't make that decision. You call me with a coaching job that's gonna keep the lights on. What? (laughs) Player development. Let me say this. What? What the? What the gentleman said about player development at the University of Oregon. He was 100% right for player development at the University of Oregon. People say, "What? What does that mean to be in player development?" I said, "Depends on where you are and what the kids need." He, you asked him what was he, – he told you what was successful. If I bring in the, the person that's uh, the uh, hiring uh, senior talent acquisition guy, he was the captain of the football team, University of Minnesota, play with me. he give you a week's notice before everybody else when the, when the hiring window is going to open, when they're going to hire interns and hire generally, and he tells you what, how to do, what to apply, and he's willing to do mock interviews with you. And if no one takes it, that's a fail. If a month later I bring the lady from Target and she does the same thing, and if one guy says yes and fills out the application, that's a success. That one guy filled it out. That one guy, I called him. I said, hey, she said, you uh, filled out the application. You need me to make a call? He said, no. I said, you got through the first interview. I said, you need me to make a call? He said, no. The job on his own accord. Because when you bring in one person, for 118 people, you need to understand, even the guy that walked on that was a backup on his high school team believes he's going to play on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So when when you put all these things, all these resources in front of him, all these opportunities to prepare for the next 60 years of his life in front of him, he really doesn't understand what you're attempting to do for him until he doesn't hear his name called at the end of April. Here's what I tell them now when they come. You all have a stove in your house. 
there's four burners. As long as you on the front burner, I'm putting salt, pepper, adobo. I'm dropping some thyme in there, some rosemary. I'm stirring you. I'm keeping you from boiling over. The moment your eligibility is done, that doesn't mean I'm done with you, but I'm pushing you on the back burner and I'm putting you on warm. Mm-hmm. I might I might stir you a little bit every now and again. If you call me, I'm going to get back to you eventually. But you have four mm-hmm. or five years to drink the water I gave you, and you didn't drink it. So I, you need to understand if Duck Riley has an opportunity to play Sunday football, I love him. But, Duck, I need you to take that internship at Lando Lakes, and when you take it and they offer you a job just – when you say to them, I got a chance to play on Sunday, will you hold the job for me? They'll say yes. But if you don't take that internship and they don't call you on Sunday, you got nothing to fall back on. You okay. just fallen. Mm-hmm. So player development is different at different places. For me, if it has nothing to do with football, I'm either in charge of it or I'm heavily involved in it. Your check is short, I find out why. You need to get home because there's an emergency, I make sure you get home. You, you got a problem with your tutor, you need me to talk to the lady to get your new tutor. You got a problem with your roommate, you need me to, to mediate something with your roommate, that's fine. Don't come to me and say that the coach is doing you wrong because, see, they're not paying me to coach football. They're paying me to make sure that when you leave here, you're not palms up, saying that you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're doing, and you can't handle yourself in a non-structured environment, and you can't solve your own problems. They paying me to make sure that you are palms down saying, I got this. I saved some of that money they gave me, and I got two shirts. I got a jacket, a tie. I got a down payment on my apartment. I got a car that can get me to working back. <laughs> okay. okay we'll because at some point, Duck, here's the stock. I'm a, I know I'm rambling, Duck, but at some point, God takes the football away from everybody. And you have to have a plan. But when the football, and you don't know, it could be your first day. You slip and, and snap your Achilles and you never play again. What's your plan? You might play 10 years in that Sunday league. The guy came in from Target, played seven years, left tackle, New York football Giants. That's a money position. I asked him in front of the team, you still got to work? He said, yep, still got to work. Coach uh, Coach Kamara, uh, same question. Uh, the 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 moment where you have to make that decision, uh, where you're going uh, into the administrative side of it, uh, whether it's player personnel or what have you, or uh, or you can say coach on the field, coach in the press box. Uh, uh, what what's the thought process there? Really, it's whatever your your end goal is and, and what you're trying, what you're striving for, uh, and that's the. Uh, that's the that's that's the selfish answer I would say. But to to speak to what Coach Wilson said, sometimes it's it's chosen for you, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh opportunities opportunities are they come one in a million and if you don't take it while it's hot sometimes it'll never come again. And so um if you have an opportunity to level up in in some way and then you can all also always um detour or go another route in which you, you feel as though is best for you. Uh, I would take it. Um, I mean, honestly, the, the the way I got to this uh, position that I want to be in is by doing just that. You know, I want to be a chief of staff one day. I don't want to uh, – I mean, I've reached kind of the highest that I can reach in the player development realm. Uh, I could go admin, but 
I don't really have that love or that um, that love for other sports. I would say, I, like there, there's something special about a football player to me, and seeing uh, their that, seeing them navigate this time in their life. Just because, I mean, it's a different stage. It's a different stage than college basketball. It's a different stage than rugby or um, badminton or tennis, for example. Um, and so, just helping football players, uh, the demographic that the, that we attract as, as a football program, helping them uh, reach success is is what I want to do. Um, but I, there will be a time in which I step into the chief of staff chair, and that's going to be the the whole ecosystem, the whole organization in which we're working to to get to that championship. Um, just trying to help the the head coach be his number two, be his right hand, make sure everything is flowing. Um, and making sure that the culture is being set uh, from an employee standpoint and the uh, and the student athlete experience standpoint. And so, um, but yeah, to answer your question, sometimes it's chosen for you, and sometimes you just have to look at where you're at in in your development and what you've done. Uh, if you've left the place better than where you found it, I think that's that's the biggest uh, that's the biggest tell if you're ready to go. I won't leave the University of Oregon until um, I've left it better than, than I found it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Wilson, uh, you mentioned being Sir? at UConn. Yeah, you mentioned being at UConn. Uh, I uh, was the, the communications director for a little bowl game out of Detroit. It used to be known as the Motor City Bowl. Uh, Dan Olafsky and uh, you guys uh, came up. I think you may have been with the staff at that time when uh, Coach Etzel was there uh, and played a team uh, from Central Michigan. They had a little wide receiver uh, that um, ran a kickoff back for a touchdown against you guys, went on to a great NFL career. Um, I'm wondering what the thought process was in the discussion in your coach's room when you were preparing uh, to go up against Antonio Brown. Um, we did not play Central Michigan. We played Toledo, didn't we? Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, you That's tried exactly to stump right. me with that. You tried to stump <laughs> That's right. me. That's right. I'm thinking Boston Boston College <laughs> played Central Michigan. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. They, played, uh, they had a they had a Gradkowski was the quarterback and we was and worried about him, but he had he had a hand he had a hand injury that kinda hampered him a little bit. Um but yeah, it was the first bowl game in Yukon history. Um mm-hmm. Was one, Lance Moore one was playing wide there. receiver. Yeah, I think Lance Moore, yeah. Lance Moore, who played for the Saints uh, for the, for a number of years, was uh, at the wide receiver for Toledo as well. Uh, and uh, my wife couldn't make the trip, which made it easier for me. Don't tell her I said that because she was. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling. She, uh, well, listen, Riley. You know I got years of service. If she gonna leave me for that, that's the least of my words. Um, but uh, you know, it, it was a big, it was a, a big moment for UConn football. You know, Coach got mm-hmm. us to a bowl game. We were happy to go. Kind of like now with Coach Mora, they, you know, they have been so bad with the, at the with the COVID, and, and, and Randy came back, and it didn't work. And you know, he got them to a bowl again this year. They weren't, unfortunately for them, they didn't win. But he got them back to where they say, hey, listen. UConn can win six football games, and maybe maybe they'll work their way back where they can win eight, nine football games. Uh, you know, UConn football had, had got to a point where, you know, they, 
they went and played BCS games, played Oklahoma in the uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. You know, they went from Yankee Conference football to Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. But right. I was fortunate enough to be there when when it transitioned to one A football, and we were we were happy to play Toledo. Uh, Coach Am Stutz was at Toledo. He's a coaching legend. That's right. They had Rob Spence there as the offensive coordinator. Rob Spence had been at places like Clemson and was supposed to be a quarterback whisperer, and I worked with him later on down at, at Rutgers. Uh, but we had Dan Orlowski, and a, a funny thing happened. It's one of the few times that I ever panicked in the press box. I, I sent a play down on the wristband, and Orlowski read the wrong wristband. And I'm looking. I was like, that's not what I called. And I said as calmly as that, that's not what I called. And I was about to scream to call a timeout. That's not what I called. That's not what I called. And Randy finally said, do you want me to call a timeout? I said, i just let it play now. And we ran a reverse on like third and 11 and got a first down. I said, nah, well, it worked out. Let's go. What's the next play? <laughs> um, we got treated so well. And I'll tell you how, how small the world there was a guy coaching named Lou West coaching defense for Toledo. And Lou West was the DB coach at the University of Minnesota when I was a freshman. And to this, to this, to that day at least, I would never call him Lou. I walked up to him and said, hey, Coach West, it's great to see you. And he was shocked to hmm. see me. He never knew where I went, you know, some 15, 20 years before. He didn't know I was coaching football or anything like that. And that's how small the world football is. Um, There's a lot of schools playing football, but it's guys that you'll meet, and you may not see them for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, but when you see them, you you find a way to catch up quickly. And football is woven into the fabric of this country, and I mean this. Baseball may may be America's pastime, and it's a great game, but football is America's passion. And there's only 12 opportunities, and people are going to come see you play, and they're going to cheer for you vehemently for two and a half, three hours, and do it again the next week. Mm-hmm. Okay, Doug. Okay, uh, Coach Kamara, I just uh, my final question for you and, and Coach Wilson that I saw with you is kind of where do you see yourself in a couple of years? Um, I mean, I'm a big advocate for just being where my feet are and just dominating everything that comes in front of me and making sure that I create the best experience for these student-athletes here on the Oregon football team. Um, and if opportunities come to one day step in that, into that chief of staff role, uh, I'll definitely be hopping on board. You know, I want to be a chief of staff, whether that be at the collegiate level or in the NFL. Uh, but like I said before, just being where my feet are, uh, worrying about, what I'm doing right now and the goals that I want to accomplish within the position that I have right now. Okay. And I, and I wish you good luck with that. Uh, how about yourself, uh, coach Wilson? Well, the young the, the, the gentleman makes a great point. You got to be where your feet are and you can't do a good job where you are. If you're busy looking for the next job, where would I like to be? I'd like to have my own room. I'd like to coach, take a group of guys and make them better, um, teach them what I know about college football and let them go with it and, and 
and go on the field and play. Uh, I would love to do that again. If that doesn't happen, I will be okay with it. It's, it's, it's not, it's not going to be the end of the world if I never get an opportunity to coach football again. I make up what I do every day. You know, problems arise, and I figure out a way to fix them. And I've, I've become an expert on teaching kids how to solve their own problems. And when I get a new problem, I say, okay, well, let's dive into this and figure out how we're going to solve this one. Uh, it is a tough way to go to not know what you're going to be. But I'm 58 years old, Doug. If I get, let's, let's be honest, age discrimination is real. You know, if you want, especially in college football, I would love to go out there and, and coach with the Mountaineers. I, loved, I would love to coach here at my alma mater. I would love to coach college football on a high level. Just come out of the tunnel and find out if mine are better than yours. But you have to be realistic of where you are in life as a person. And not that I'm saying my dream is a, a pipe dream, but as I said, if, if that doesn't happen, I'll do this until they tell me I can't do it anymore. Okay. All right, guys, uh, we appreciate having you on the show. Uh, Coach Kamar, Coach Wilson for Never Headed So Good Radio, Princess Cooper, my boy Tim Moore. Hey, we're out. Good night. Thank you. Have, Have a, a great night. evening. Have a great Thanks for having me.